0: I'm thankful for Breakthrough this morning. I'm thankful that uh, we get to come into this house, God's house as a family every Sunday and, and bind together, link arms together and get empowered once again for the journey that lays ahead. Anybody else grateful for that this morning? Yeah, we need it too. We need it because the battle's only getting more and more fierce and Satan is only getting more and more crafty with his attack. So we need each other. We need this body. So thank you for being here this morning. You are in the right place, in the right place, right spot this morning. And so I, I thought that we would open up today's service just with a word of prayer. Let's just give this to God. I I can already tell you from the atmosphere in the room, both at 830 and at the 10 o'clock, that there is spiritual warfare happening in this church today. And we need to go ahead and declare, mark down that the enemy has no voice. He has no say in this room, in our hearts for the next 30 minutes, Lord willing, maybe 35 maybe 45. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we claim that strength. We claim that power that's available to us in your name this morning. We pray that strongholds will be loosed. We pray for breakthrough. We claim the blood of Jesus over this body, over this family that is desperately trying to serve you and seek you and follow you. No turning back that we have marked that out. We have decided to follow you, no turning back. And every now and again, the enemy gets this crafty idea that he can sideline us, that he can lull us to sleep, that he can get us out of the game. And so this morning, we silence the voice of the enemy. Bring your Holy Spirit into our midst today and do a work that only you could get the credit for. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's lighten the mood a little bit, a little bit. Uh, it is Nurse Appreciation Sunday. So if you're a nurse or have been, still are, could you, could we honor you? We just want you to stand or raise your hand anywhere, everywhere, all over the room. We got a gift for you. We got to, Don't sit down. We got a gift for you. If you're a nurse, stay standing. We got a gift for you, several all over the room. Thank you for what you do. It's not easy. Listen, God did not give me that empathetic spirit that you all so beautifully display just loving and caring for people, I envy that. I really do, so thank you for what you do. That is that is hard to come by, so thank you for uh, serving us, keeping us healthy and well, and just being that compassion that the world needs more of. We're thankful for that. Um, I do have a question for you, though, and it is a very important, very serious question, so I need everybody's attention once you've gotten your little gift Um the question I have to propose to you this morning before we can move forward is this. Does pineapple belong on pizza? <laughs> There's going to be a civil war in the room. All right, all right, let's, let's, let's tackle an easier one. Which way does toilet paper go? Over or under? Over or under? Over? Is there even an under person in here? Okay, you, <laughs> Brandon and Jeremiah, could y'all go see the decision team in the back and get prayer? All right, all right, all right. On a more serious note, and here's, what I, here's where I'm getting at. We, we are so good at picking out little uh, battlefields to debate, aren't we? We as humans are so gifted, so naturally able to create all kinds of different scenarios and, and little battles, little wars that we, are, we can butt heads over, we can debate, we can pick sides. We love that. What's, what is that about our nature that loves to fight, that loves to be at war, that loves to be at odds, pick sides, choose a team? You know what I'm saying? That competitive spirit, on a more serious note, In a world sense, we do the same thing. We pick fights. We have no business being in. How about the billions of your dollars overseas to fight Russia, right? We're we're funding the war with Russia, with Ukraine and Russia. And meanwhile, we have an invasion on our own border, fentanyl, abortion. There's many different wars that we could fight here, but instead we fight over there. Wrong war. How about red versus blue, Republican versus Democrat, instead of, catch this, righteousness versus evil? Wrong war. Wrong war. How about, we, I'll, let me church it up for you. Let me churchify it. We just got done with Revelation, and uh, we are so guilty, so obsessed with uh, different debates in the end times, like, are you post-mill or pre-mill, brother? Because I don't know if we can unify on this one, right? And, and we, we segregate over when we think Jesus is coming back instead of plundering the enemy, right? Wrong war. Or we get caught up in free will versus reform theology, and we get all twisted out of sorts, fighting, again, wrong war. It's the wrong battle. This morning, we get to talk about one of my favorite Old Testament characters. He was a giant, but he got out of the game. The enemy got to him, distracted him, guess what, with the wrong war. He was a fighter. He was gifted at it. He was uniquely qualified for it. The only problem is he spent up all of his energy. He spent up all of his passion. He spent up all of his ability fighting the wrong war. So Satan used that. Second scheme, distraction, to get him out of the game. Everybody knows distraction. You've been in a room, you've walked through a doorway, and you completely forgot what you went into that room for, right? Anybody heard of the doorway effect? And they say you can run back to the nearest doorway and kind of collect your thoughts, right? It's never worked for me, but I did learn something interesting about the doorway effect, and this might help you, Eddie. You're not ADD. You're not scatterbrained. If that's ever happened to you, I have a new diagnosis, a new word that you can add to your library, okay? Your brain was reappraising. You're not scatterbrained. You didn't forget why you're in the room. It's just that your brain reprioritized once you went through that doorway what's most important here, right? So it's not that you are squirrely and you saw saw something shiny, and be careful, say some inappropriate words, but... You are reappraising. So that's your new word. You can add it to your library. I helped you with distraction. You weren't really distracted. You're just reappraising the situation. However, here's what I know the enemy's good at He's good at getting us to reappraise our focus on distractions, on wrong wars. We pick fights, we make up battles, we create debates that all are alluring and they're all attractive and they all have their own merit. The problem is that they're the wrong war. And if we're ever to do battle with the enemy, if we're ever to do battle on a cosmic level, if we're ever going to take one to that bully, our enemy, the devil, we've got to prioritize and focus on the battle we were uniquely designed for. Absalom is that man. And I like Absalom. Absalom. I like that Absalom was David's son. He was the handsome one with long hair and he got hung by his hair in a tree. That's how his life ended. Can you imagine? Donkey ran right from between his legs and hung him by his hair. But before that, do you know the story of Absalom? Do you know what God uniquely designed him for, created him for? He was cre- Absalom was created for battle. He was uniquely gifted at that. So I want to... Take a short survey of Absalom's life this morning. I don't have a text for us to stand and read because we're just going to be all over Second Samuel, really thirteen through eighteen. It's five chapters. You can read it this week if you want to write down those chapters. Those five chapters summarize Absalom's short life, and we have some lessons to learn about the scheme of distraction. Two weeks ago, we talked about the the scheme of deceit with Elijah. Now we're at the scheme of distraction. Distraction, this is the whole scheme. It keeps you busy fighting the wrong war. Absalom's distraction was pride. But did you know it started with righteous anger? And then it kind of escalated into ego, and then it culminated into rebellion, and then he literally, he, it, it, the whole war was terminated with his own destruction. The war he fought eventually killed him. But let's read about it. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Let's begin in 2 Samuel 13. You can stay seated for this. I want to begin here in verses 1 and 2 to kind of set the stage for why Absalom started off brilliantly. Strong warrior for God, and God used, or the devil used his family to get him distracted. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was... Tamar. Everybody say Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, this would have been Absalom's half-brother, David's son loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. We'll skip a section about his crafty friend who sets up this scenario where Amnon becomes so sick that David comes to see his son and says, Oh, Dad, you don't need to do anything for me, but I tell you what, if you could send Tamar here, she could nurse me back to health. And so that's exactly what happens. So, skipping to verse 14, or uh whatever's next, I don't know exactly. Yeah, 14. But he would not listen to her. That is, Amnon would not listen to Tamar. She was trying to reason with him why this would be a terrible idea. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. That robe, by the way, is how they signified her purity, that she was a virgin. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Verse 20. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. Verse 22. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And to that, I say bravo, right? Bible Belt America would have loved Absalom. He had a unique sense of justice. He had a unique sense of righting wrongs. He would have been your ideal candidate, anti-woke, pro-free speech, pro-life, red-blooded alpha male. I mean, this guy has it together. Bible Belt America would have rallied around Absalom's righteous anger against his brother Amnon. Righteous anger. God gave him a unique sense of justice. He was an equalizer. He wanted to make things right. He wanted no one to get away with evil. But he took that fight into his own hands. It was the wrong war. As tempting as that battle would have been to fight, as tempting as it is for us to take our own lives into our own hands and create havoc, it's the wrong war. Absalom's wrong war began, don't mishear me, with righteous anger. Righteous anger. He was absolutely justified in hating his brother. That was evil. His sister was violated and brutally raped. And he wanted nothing to do with his brother. The problem begins with what's next. Instead of leaving things in God's hands, instead of processing that righteous anger, he thought he knew better than everybody else about how to deal with it. Be careful how you handle your anger, even if it's good anger. Righteous anger decays into pride, if not resolved properly. Why? Because you think you're the only one that sees it clearly. Justice Good justice, it it tends to rot into judgmentalism if not dealt with. What happens in verse 28 is that his family gets together for the annual sheep shearing. That's what they do. They raise a lot of ruckus. They... Got a lot of alcohol, and they shear the sheep. I don't know. sounds like a good time to me. But this is what happens when Absalom shows up. Then Absalom commanded his servants, mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon and kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, and be valiant. The devil took Absalom's strength of righteous anger and began to play on it to get him distracted into fighting the wrong war, take justice into his own hands, and execute vengeance rather than leaving it into God's hands. What wars, what wrong wars does the enemy have you distracted fighting to keep you out of the real game? That's the question you need to ask yourself because this wrong war It began with a good thing. It began with righteous anger. It began with Absalom's strength. It began with what God designed him for, which was war, but he took it into his own hands. So that wrong war escalated into ego. So now that he's killed his brother, half-brother, he runs off, lives by himself, and he begins to think a lot about himself. He, He gets alone, he isolates, which we already know is a problem, and he begins to think a real big deal about himself. This is what happens in chapter 14, verse 25. Now, in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And it's almost like Absalom knew this verse already. He probably had like this giant mirror installed. And he began to think a lot about himself. The Bible says that uh, not only did they shear sheep, but Absalom would cut his hair once a year. And the reason we know he was so egotistical is he would weigh it. He would weigh his hair and compare it to last year. Like, I'm doing pretty good. Like, on my multivitamins, doing pretty good, working out, staying strong, drinking a lot of water, hydrated. And the Bible says there was no blemish in him. He was wise. He understood justice. He was strong. He was masculine. He had the appearance of being the king's son. And you know where this goes. This wrong war began with righteous anger, but it escalated into ego. And this ego turned him into somebody that God could not bless. Look at what happens in chapter 15. Things take a turn. And this is really where I believe his sin began. I don't know, you could convince me that it was okay to kill Amnon. I'm not sure, but this is where Absalom's sin began. Now, after this... After what? Spending time by himself thinking that he's a real big deal. He's a big shot. After this, he got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. Well, that's where the justice system was upheld. That's where they would deal with people's problems and resolve issues and delegate and determine if people were guilty or not, at the gates of the city. And that's where he found himself, but not just himself, his 50 servants and his chariots and his horses, the whole thing. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom, he would intercept them. He would call out to them and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such, a tribe in Israel, go on in verse 3. And Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good. Your claims are right, but there is no man to designate by the king to hear you. You have no representative, and that's why I'm here. Verse 4 in Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in Israel. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. He's now taken his strength, what God gifted him at, which was justice, And he's now taking it into his own hands. He is fighting the wrong war. And you could argue that with this verse, he began the fight against his own family because he is drawing the battle line between he himself and his father, David, saying, David hasn't even set up any representative to hear your claim. You got a dispute, Clinton? Come to me, I'll handle it. Look at what happens. You thought that was bad. Verse 5 and... Whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And what I hear in the text is that, yes, Absalom, you may have stolen the hearts of Israel, but Satan has now stolen your heart. With you taking your strength, your ability, the way God designed you, now that you have taken it clearly into your own hands to manipulate as you see fit, to draw battle lines where you see fit, to, to fight wars that you were not designed for, now Satan has gotten you distracted. He has craftily entangled you into the scheme of fighting the wrong war. What happens is that eventually, because of Absalom's popularity, because he had the whole nation of Israel behind him, David has to flee. There was no war. There was no battle yet. But David flees for his life. And Absalom just kind of moves in. Oh, I find myself in the throne room. Weird. How fitting. How appropriate. He evaluates things and he brings in the man of God that should have been the one to point him to say, Absalom... You're distracted. You're fighting the wrong war. This ain't it, brother. You're picking a fight with your own family when you ought to be fighting for your family. And he brings in the man of God that ought to have given him biblical counsel and listen to what the the man of God has even warped into Absalom's entanglement. Here we are at verse 21 of chapter 16. Ahithophel, this is the prophet, the man of God said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines. Big Bible word that just means all of his girlfriends. Whom he had left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. Verse 22. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now, there's kids in the room, but are you tracking with what's going on here? They pitched a tent in public, and Absalom did the rest. Just a few chapters ago, this man was angry that someone had raped his sister. And now he finds himself, because he has allowed his strength to develop into this monster. He is now doing the same exact thing that he was righteously anger over, angry over at the beginning. And that's what pride will do. That's what the devil will do. He will, he will position you to where you never thought you would be. When pride goes unchecked, you get so warped Fighting the wrong war, you become somebody you don't even know, don't even recognize. Plotting conspiracies, stealing loyalties. You know what that is? It was just the poisonous fruit of guilt, self-justification, and a stroked ego. Absalom is now picking fights with his own family, his own flesh and blood father because pride went unchecked, because he thought he knew what was best. Rebellion shows itself in such ugly ways. The wrong war will always culminate in rebellion against authority. It causes you to do things you wouldn't do. The wrong war terminated Absalom's life and destruction by the very thing that symbolized his So now that Absalom has taken the throne by force, Joab, who is David's general, has no choice but for the preservation of the nation to convince David to go at war against his own son. And David says, fine, all right, but just don't kill Absalom. Treat him kindly for my sake. And so the battle lines are drawn. Well, actually, they don't do a normal battle. They fight in the forest, which the Bible says the forest took out more men that day than the actual battle did. But we'll pick up the story in 2 Samuel 18, verse 8 and 9. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. What happens to Absalom? And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, The mule went under the thick branches of a great oak. His head got caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule went, the mule that was under him went on. So karma, right? Or you could say God. He gets caught up in the tree by his hair. The mule goes. He's left hanging. Joab finds out, takes three javelins, and ends Absalom's life. A total waste, because he was so busy, so obsessed with fighting the wrong war. I wonder what chapters would be filled in this book if Absalom had been fighting the enemy instead of his family. I wonder what stories were missing, because Absalom got a hold of this strength, which was righteous anger and, and godly justice, and he let, just let it take him for a ride. Absalom's life is really the tale of two monuments. And let me explain by using Scripture in 2 Samuel 18, 7 and 18. God allowed the very thing that controlled his life to kill him. And doesn't Proverbs say that pride goes before destruction? And doesn't Proverbs say that a haughty spirit goes before a fall? Absalom's life, a tale of two monuments, 2 Samuel 18 17 and 18, I want you to consider the two monuments built here. Verse 17, And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones, his grave. And all Israel fled, every one to his own house. Now Absalom, in his lifetime, had taken and set up for himself A pillar that is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called that pillar after his own name. And it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. This Joker, his pride got a hold of his heart to the point where he built an idol for himself, named himself. There's a picture of it. It's still there. Absalom's tomb, Absalom's grave. We have a picture of it. It still stands at the base of, um, what do you call that? Mount of Olives. Um, and it's there. I find it ironic that the tree's bigger than that puny little monument that he built for himself. Even the tree was bigger. And you know what? Can I, can I share something with you about ourselves, our brokenness? You build monuments to yourself when you're full of pride. You build monuments for yourself when your actions have nothing to say. You build monuments to yourself when you're not trusting God. Absalom specifically said that (laughs) he had no son to keep his name in remembrance. Do you know he had three? None of them could speak well of his father. Therefore, he had to build a monument to himself because he knew his kids wouldn't. So we have two contrasting heaps of stone, don't we? One heap of stones represented the story of his life, the other represented the story of his lie. One monument was his legacy, the other represented the legacy he wanted. One was a monument about himself. The other was a monument to himself. What are the monuments that you're building in your life because you are fighting the wrong war? What are the big barriers? What are those strongholds that you are helping the devil build by placing stones on that wall because you're unwilling? You get distracted and you're not fighting the right battles. For Absalom, and I bet for several in this room, he began fighting his family instead of fighting the enemy. He began tearing down the life that was destined for him because he would not submit, he would not humble himself and leave things in God's hand. Humility is the only ladder of success with God. He he was seeking for that promotion. Absalom truly thought that he deserved to be king. Yet God couldn't bless that. God couldn't bless who Absalom pretended to be with all the chariots and hoopla and hand kissing. Might as well be butt kissing too. I mean, he did it all. God could not bless the person Absalom pretended to be. He could not bless because Absalom was too busy blessing himself, praising himself, building up his own monument, God's like, well, you, what do you need me for? You're doing it all yourself. So we have to be careful fighting the wrong war. Can I show you the end of this story? We thought that's the end. It's not because I want to show you the, the um, I want to show you the battle that Absalom was designed for. It's a few chapters later in 21. In chapter 21, Absalom's dead, David's restored, Joab's the general, and war happens. Only this time, it happens again, and again, and again. Verse 15, there was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. I wonder why. Verse 18 After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Verse 19. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Verse 20. And there was again war at Gath. Do you begin understanding the war that Absalom was actually designed for? This was the battle he was created for. But because his life was spent fighting the wrong one, his old man David has to show up and fight battles that he was never designed to fight. And it says David got so weary, the verse we didn't read said Joab told him, stay home. You're weary, you're old, you're discouraged. We will fight for you. And this was the war. The war against the Philistines was the war that God designed Absalom for, but he had gotten so busy, fighting against his family that we'll never know the end of that story. What, David, are you leaving out on the battlefield because you have spent your life, you have spent your energy, you have spent your time and your passion fighting the little petty wars, the little silly debates, the inner family turmoil, the, the fights in your marriage that you give in to, you yield to, And the whole time the devil is grinning from ear to ear because he is spinning that scheme of distraction, and you are silly. You are completely silly and dizzy fighting the wrong war. He's gotcha. Who or what are you at war with? An ex. Custody battles, alimony. Let's just break it down. Let's, let's not, let's take off the facades. Let's just be real. We're family, right? Who or what are you at war with? Your adult children that you have vowed not to invite any, over to any more holidays until they apologize. Maybe it's your parents' an aunt, an uncle, a sister, a brother, some, some relative that you're not speaking to until they humble themselves and ask for a proper forgiveness. And, and, and you are determined to build that wall and keep that monument in place. Wrong war. How about the, that wrong war of keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the cul-de-sac, right? That allure for the new job, the promotion, the money, the raise, the paycheck, wealth, power, fame, whatever it may be. You're you're obsessed with taking that next step that you got to get educated. You got to get the next degree. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But if you are so controlled and consumed by keeping up with the Joneses, the devil's got you distracted fighting the wrong war. New pool sounds nice this summer in the backyard. Nothing against pools. Man, if I just get that next rung on the ladder, if I just get that next promotion, no, next paycheck, that new truck could become a reality. Nothing wrong with trucks, wrong war. How about the news cycle, politics? That, that war that's constantly pushing fear and chaos in our faces, and we're convinced that if we just get the right president in office, Man, the Christians did that. Wrong war. Wrong war. Marriage, husband, wife, chaos. Are you so busy fighting and arguing to be right? Wrong war so consumed with stating your case, towing the line, proving that you're the one in the right. Wrong war. The devil's got you with a scheme of distraction because he knows how effective you would be in the battle of righteousness versus evil. He knows how effective you would be fighting the battle of truth versus error. He knows how effective of a father and a dad and a husband you would be If you would turn your back from fighting against your marriage, fighting against your family, and turn it to fighting for them, he knows how effective you would be. No wonder he's causing chaos in the marriage. What could God have done with Absalom at war with the enemy instead of at war with his family? God designed you for war. You may not like the sound of that, but you were uniquely created and designed for war, for a battle. He's deposited something unique within you that you bring to the table that is a threat to the enemy. But where the devil gets us distracted is thinking for some reason we can take credit for that strength. And we manipulate it and we use it for our own power and for our own good. He, he gets us to create little petty battles, little, little, uh, little tyke wars with plastic figures and baby thrones. And he gets us so consumed with fighting little childish wars that he knows will never be effective fighting the real one. This battlefield is a cosmic war. Ephesians 6 talks about it. And you, as a part of his church, you play a giant role. A giant role. Not a sleeping giant, but we need you to be awake and alive giants in this war for our marriages, for our families against the devil to bully him right back to where he belongs. So we need this family reunion to encourage ourselves to boost each other up, to, to, to edify us once again, to head out and face that giant, sick one to the enemy and put him back in his place. There is spiritual warfare going on. It's happening today. It happens here. So while we pray, while we bow our heads and close our eyes, I want to ask you, who or what are you at war with? What kind of monument Have you built for yourself that with God's help, we can tear down and experience breakthrough today, today, not tomorrow, not next week, today, right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, we need your help and your presence here. I pray for my Christian family, my brothers and sisters in the fight. I pray that we would not leave a David a weary, discouraged, battle-worn David out there to fight alone for battles that that we were designed to fight. I pray that you would remind us once again about that, that strength, that deposit, that unique design that you have built in us for battle, for war that is a threat to the enemy that makes him nervous, that makes him antsy. And I pray that you would Make it so clear to us that it dissolves, it breaks down any barrier, any monument, any pillar that we have set up for our name, in our name for ourselves. God, forgive us of that. I pray for marriages today. I pray for husbands and wives today right in this room who have been face-to-face when you need them back-to-back. I pray that we would see marriages restored. I pray that a husband and a wife in this room today would find the courage, would find the strength to give their marriage back to you, to stop fighting against one another and fight for each other. What a threat that their family unit is to the devil. And then we, we think of the church as a whole that we are, we are in a relationship with each other and infighting and squabbling and debates and fights and it gets us torn apart and then our body is not effective as it should be in our community. So we pray for unity in this body to, to be a threat once again to the enemy. God, anything, whether it's wealth, money, fame, pride, ego, almighty dollar, Unforgiveness was mentioned today. Whatever it may be that we would come, we would surrender it, we would be reminded of our strength, that gift, that deposit that you've placed in us. That we would offer it back to you to use us in battle, to use us in war as we were designed for. We need your help. Remind us of the good work you're doing in us and through us. I pray that you would come as this lost song plays. I pray that you would come Grab your wife, the two of you as a couple, come forward. Grab your family, bring them forward. Do business with the Lord this morning. Don't let that pride go unchecked today. And Jesus, we need your help. It's in your name.